I understand the market positioning. I understand those aspects. But I think the one thing that's going to be super hard to change will be your values. And given how important it is, if you just step back and think about what is the most important investment I want to make for the company for the next five years, I think it's going to be fairly obvious. It is around who we are, what kind of company, how do we work? And the value system becomes fairly obvious. Hey, it's Adam Schoenfeld. Welcome back to the Built in Seattle podcast, where Seattle's top entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders share their stories and their lessons from behind the scenes. If you like this show, then you'll love my short weekly email, the Pike Street Journal. Subscribe at psj.email. Each week I send some bonus nuggets from these interviews, stuff I get when the recorder's off, and some more insider takes on Seattle people and companies. That's psj.email. On this episode, I talked with Vetri Valor. He's the founder and CEO at Ally. They've been on an incredible growth path. They just won GeekWire's Startup of the Year. Vetri says they 4 x the business, and they've grown the team from 14 people a year ago to about 110 now. They've raised $26 million over three rounds, and the business was just founded in 2017. Vetri talked about why messing up culture is hard to fix later. He talked about entering a competitive market with an uncommon point of view, and he shared his philosophy on OKRs as the foundation for the next generation business operating system. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm here with the one, the only, Vetri Valor. Thanks for being here, Vetri. Oh, thanks, Adam. I'm really excited to have the chat today. I'm excited too. I've been following you for a while. I think I first heard about you because you hired a bunch of people that I used to work with. <laughs> That's right. And even before, I think it was Abhyar, your previous co-founder, who invested in Ally. A lot of good people between the board and the actual team that I know well, and uh, they've spoken very highly of you, and they're very excited about being part of the journey. Same here, Adam. I, I think you built a phenomenal company, a great team. I'm so happy that I was able to hire some of them. It's awesome. I love it when people that I've worked with go on and do great things, and I, I saw you guys just won GeekWire Startup of the Year Award. Congrats. Were you expecting that? No, it was actually a complete surprise, and it probably showed <laughs> in my face. I know we were doing well, but still these, I don't know what the criteria was, and I was really surprised, and, but I was completely thrilled to accept it for the team, because the team has been working so hard. We hit some really, really awesome milestones, so it felt great to accept it for the team. Given that everybody's remote right now, and that was kind of the first remote GeekWire Awards, what do you guys do as a team to celebrate and recognize it? We have two ceremonies, rituals at Ally. We have a Friday events, and that's something we always do, but that particular Friday was a very special Friday for all of us. And we also have this Monday morning upload ritual where we talk about what's going well, what's not going well. And that was very different as well. I was not so surprised because I've seen what you've done, at least with growing the team in the last year. Can you tell me a little bit about the growth of the business over the last year? It seems like you guys have been hiring a ton and really hitting your stride. I mean, I've done a startup before, right? And Ally is a very special journey, even compared to my previous one. But from very early on, we kind of hit this really high growth path. And surprisingly, we have, even after two years, we have continued down that path. On the overall business side, 
I mean, things like all the metrics you think of, the usual ARR, net revenue retention, we have done really, really well. Almost 4x growth in a single year. In terms of the team size, we went from what about 14, 15 people this time last year to about 110 people now as of today. It's more than the size of the team, Adam. I'm really proud of the kind of people who have chosen to come to Ally. These are phenomenal people who are genuinely driven by the mission of the company on how we're gonna bring purpose, focus, and productivity to the workplace. That's what keeps me totally enthused about coming to work every day. That's a lot of scaling. What's been a mistake that you've made in that path of you know, adding all those people and growing the company that quickly? No, actually, in some ways, I've gotten lucky, Adam, because I did make a lot of mistakes, but many of those happened in my first startup. And I've learned from those mistakes. And uh, one of those is, for example, the value of culture, right? I mean, how do we make sure that we are really well aligned, not just on talent or competency, but also on the values? And I've learned that lesson. And one of the things I've done differently this time is to actually be in pretty much every interview loop, right? I must have done literally several hundreds of interviews in the last few months. And there are some phenomenal people, but this time we have been very, very good in helping them understand our values and making sure that we are going to be a good fit for them. The new mistakes I've made are, I've always been kind of biased towards human potential. And I think it's a strength and a weakness at the same time. And in the same vein, I look at individuals uh, and I'm kind of amazed by the potential inside people. Sometimes that potential does not translate into immediate results, particularly when you're scaling so fast, people have less time to kind of grow into the roles. And uh, the mistakes have been more in that vein that I've focused so much on potential, not enough on that experience of being there, done that, seen that scale, seen, seen that growth. Yeah. How have you actually thought through that balance now, you know, that, that you've seen some of the, you know, upside and downside of, you know, hiring for potential versus experience. What's your approach to it today as you think about getting to the next skip, uh, size? I'm thinking about it a little different, but not too different, right? I still am a huge believer in the human. But as a business that's growing at this kind of scale, one of the things I'm now doing is actually adding another more senior level of management leadership to the company of people who have kind of seen this script already. People have taken companies from 6 million to 200 million, like our senior VP of strategy and operations, whom we just hired from Spotsheet. And similarly, a couple of other hires will be announcing here soon. So I'm adding, bringing in the, the set of people who have kind of already been there, done that. At the same time, I want to make sure that the amazingly talented people we already have in the company with this huge potential are going to have a lot of growth opportunities. So I'm trying to find that right balance between that experience and talent and potential. So I'm finding a balance, so far it's going really well because we are growing fast, there's opportunities for everyone to grow at the same time for this highly experienced team to come and provide further guidance. Yeah, I love that. And you know, obviously if you can bring in those experienced people and they can pull forward the 
the people with that raw energy that came in in the early days, that's the, the holy grail, right? That's right. And it's making it fit. And the thing that's making it all work so far is our focus on our values. Yeah, are we the right fit for these amazingly talented people? And when we find people who are the right fit and people who believe in our mission are not here just because we are growing fast, then somehow magic seems to happen. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're on all the interview loops and there's things you're doing to really focus on those values. How else does that get manifested in the tactics of actually growing the team? Everything we do, Adam, again, in part because of several mistakes I've made in the past, right, in my previous company, I learned that the value system that you build initially early on is super important. And so beyond hiring, right, everything we do, actually, we try to look at our value system, every decision we make. When we say we are data-driven, which is one of our values, we are not personality-driven, but data-driven, we really take that to heart. We look for actually how do we make decisions. And the fact I have an opinion about something really does not matter at all. The only thing that matters is what does the data say. And there are times where we do make decisions right, without data because we are moving fast, but we generally stay paranoid. We assume we are wrong and we are paranoid until we are proven right that the decision we made was correct. So everything we do, every decision we make, we actually try to stay true to actually our value system. We talk about it in the new employee orientation. We actually use a core, include that as a core part of our performance review process right? uh, and career conversations. It manifests itself in day-to-day, week-to-week, quarter-to-quarter, everything we do. How did it come to be initially like how how did you decide what the values Mm -hmm. are or create the framework that then guides every decision today in some ways it was seeding these values in part who i have personally been for a very very long period of time when we did the values for my previous startup we surprisingly had a similar values right maybe not so surprising and one thing i realized in doing my previous startup was we had in part of our culture was 10 values. And I thought it was just too many for an early stage company. And one of the things we did ally is to start with a smaller set. Uh, the team was much smaller because I started this exercise when the team was literally four people, right? And because again, I learned how important culture and values are for long-term growth of a company. So we started the exercise very, very early on and we started with a small set of values and we talked about are these just nice to have things? Do we really believe in them? We went into a conversation, but just the four of us back then, talking about about eight things that we all thought we believed in. We contributed to that list. And we came out of that with five. And then a little later, about seven months later, we added one more, which is around teamwork and making others great. So it kind of evolved through my own core value system and then initially developed by a very small set of people As the company grows, I expect us to come back and revisit these value systems. It might grow and change in some small ways, but not in a very substantial way. How does it look today now, you know, a few years later after the four of you sat around Mm -hmm. and kind of crafted it? I think we do a very good job at values. Again, because we learned by, I've learned by making a lot of mistakes. If you look at, for example, either our monthly town hall meetings or quarterly updates. Everywhere, one core part is about our values and recognizing people who are living the values. It is not about that this person sold 
more uh, close more deals but support people living our living our values and we talk about our values in the context of as i said hiring in terms of new employee orientation and it's not just me doing it right now that we talked about it repeatedly everyone actually talks about this and recently we did this employee engagement survey and i believe 92% of people said that ally lives by its values and fosters its values that's an incredible data point and it's something that so many companies talk about but you know maybe don't get right what's the secret you've figured out in making values work you know through your mistakes and successes that you think others haven't figured out with us i i think the number one thing is as entrepreneurs we are always under the gun right we have to deliver results we are always learning we are always changing based on what we learned and in that process in that daily whirlwind we it's hard to focus on what matters in the really long term right and because it's fairly obvious what matters in the really long term is actually what kind of company you are your value system i think is going to determine the long term future it probably the biggest determinant in my opinion of your long term future i understand the market positioning i understand those aspects but i think the one thing that's going to be super hard to change will be your values and kind of becomes who you are and given how important it is if you just step back and think about what is the most important investment i want to make for the company for next 5 years it's i think it's going to be fairly obvious to pretty much anyone it is around who we are what kind of company how do we work and the value system becomes fairly obvious i think just that recognition that when you look long enough into the future and not get caught up in the daily fire fire drills right i think it becomes obvious to most people i would say that this is one of the biggest investments and something that's very very hard to fix unlike anything else right you ship the wrong product wrong feature you can fix it but you get this wrong it's nearly impossible to fix it i think if you step back and look at it it kind of hits you hard this is no other way right this has to be one of the most important things so i don't know whether i had done anything special other than i recognized how important it is and also why this is something you have to get right and you cannot fix later yeah i love the way you say it that when you look at the very long term it becomes obvious and kind of simple but it's interesting cuz so many people lose track of that or do get caught up in the moment or the firefighting like you said so i'm sure it takes some level of constant attention or checking in to make sure that you don't get get swept up in that it it does it does and i think uh, having realized how important it is i look at my job as building that culture the value system the right environment in the company if i am creating long term value for this company that is one of the most important things i need to do fortunately i'm surrounded by a set of people who all believe in these value systems so my job is easy, even easier i think that is i look at that as one of the most important things i need to do if i don't do that well we are not going to do well as a company in the long term given its importance how else can i not focus on it right so in spite of the daily fires all face i kind of made it a habit now these days i don't have to consciously think about it it comes to me pretty naturally whether i'm in a conversation and we make decisions or how we take any problem we are solving right our values naturally come into place we talk about priorities right 
should this team work on this or that, right? Our value system around making others great tells our teams, right? First, unblock the other team before you continue your work. So be able to naturally make those calls actually makes things a little easier after some period of time. I love hearing how that's gotten just baked into the way you work so you don't have to constantly remind yourself. For me, that seems like the hard thing is like, how do I constantly keep myself balanced and, and thinking about that long-term view? Uh, you're right, Adam. Sometimes it does, I think, become muscle memory. It's not easy, right? It requires constant attention, right? Uh, particularly as we get more and more new people in. But also the muscle memory helps, right? I mean, I'm going to go off on a side tour here, Adam. I recently, for about last four weeks, I've stopped taking added sugar, right? I don't have any added sugar in my diet now. The first few days was not that easy. But now it has become a habit. Now it's hard for me to take stuff that has sugar in it, right? So it gets built in after some time, becomes a habit. Still, I would not pretend like it's easy, right? We still have to do all our rituals, right? All our things, right, from hiring to new employee orientation, how we recognize people, how we do our performance reviews and bonus, right? Everything has to be around these value systems and reinforcing it every day. But once it becomes a habit, it is getting a little bit easier. Love that. Well, we talked a little bit about building the culture and the values and how you were thoughtful about that from the beginning. I know that you've also been on a long journey of discovering the insight that led to Ally, maybe 20 or 25 years kind of marinating on this. So I wanted to ask you, how did you discover the insight for Ally? All right, how far should I go back here? Yeah, probably about 25 years ago, Adam, I read this book. I mean, I used to do development at Microsoft back then. And I read this book, Alan Scorecard. For it's a Harvard Press book by Ken Norton, I believe. And I remember falling in love with that book. Everything about how the book described a business should be run or a team should be run resonated with my own value system and who I was as a person. How you don't give people tasks to do, but you give them context. You actually connect that work towards a bigger picture. So people realize that they're not laying bricks, but they're building the cathedral. And how do we empower people? How do we be data-driven, not personality-driven? And how do we be transparent? A lot of those, are, I think, had a special appeal to me because they are also connected very well with my own value system. And I remember falling in love and thinking, why is not every business running this way? It looks like this is a secret sauce. Why is it not working? And I, of course, learned over a period of time that change is hard, even when you know what to do. Getting to that place is not easy. I tried throughout my journey, right, in at Microsoft, my first startup, and now, in various ways to apply those principles. Right? And I believe what is now called OKRs owes a lot to that balance scorecard methodology, right? This kind of OKRs and evolution, in my opinion, of the balance scorecard, and. That's why I'm so excited about what we are doing today, right? And we'll be doing what we are doing today, even if it is not called OKRs, right? Because the fundamental principles behind this that I believe came from that book are what actually resonate with us, right? And we have seen that, I've seen it personally, when you apply that well in a team, in a business, it creates such a healthy environment and actually creates breakthrough productivity and accelerates business growth. That part works like magic when it's done well, 
having experienced it, I want to bring that to everyone. Right? And uh, so I was telling someone else, I look back at my what has led to my ally journey. So many things I've done over the last 25 years, I can look and look back and all those dots connect back, connect to this moment for me. Right? And I feel very fortunate to be able to do what I'm doing because I'm so passionate about this. It's incredible that that book so long ago had such an impact on what you're doing today. And I can see and hear how those principles resonated for you. How did you go from falling in love with the principles from that book and, and getting really immersed in that concept to then translating it to, oh, okay, I'm going to build a software company out of this idea. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, that happened when I did my first startup. After 14 years, I left Microsoft. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had a great journey. I made a lot of great lifelong friends. And I left in 2007, I think. And I did my first startup. And when that was really small, maybe about 20, 25 people had it. I was actually struggling to manage that company. And uh, to be honest, I was puzzled. I was like, what has happened here? I've managed much larger teams, much bigger businesses. Why can I, why am I struggling to manage this really small business? And I had my first aha moment that fundamentally how you run a fast growing business or you, for that matter, any business has changed and has changed forever, right? So I went looking for, okay, what is the right way of managing teams and businesses? I found several models, right? Um, <coughs> V2Mom and many others. I tried a couple, including OKR. And OKR again resonated with me in part because I, as I said earlier, it's an evolution, in my opinion, of that balanced scorecard methodology. And a lot of those values aligned with my own values. So we used OKRs in my company, and immediately I could see the benefit of it. Right? Uh, but then trying to be lazy or efficient, I tried to do it with Google Sheets, Google Docs, even PowerPoint presentations. And at some time, I had my second aha moment that this does require a good software. To do this consistently with less friction, you need a dedicated software. And I created Ally as an internal tool for my first startup. I am I still like to dabble in code from time to time. So while I was running Cronus, I actually wrote this tool as a side project. And as we used this tool in Cronus, as Cronus grew, I could see that it was actually making a huge difference. It was in fact in my opinion, instrumental to the company's continued growth. I could see the evolution. The tool also evolved with our own understanding of how do OKRs work in a practical sense, right? OKRs as a concept is pretty simple, but applying it in a fast-growing environment, particularly because of the change aspects involved in it, it's never easy. And the tool kind of continued to evolve as we learned how to use OKRs better and better. And that finally increased my conviction to the point that this tool could actually help pretty much any business. You know, it's interesting because goal setting has been around forever and OKRs have been around for a long time. Why do you think it is even, you know, three years ago that others in the market weren't solving this problem well? And, you know, obviously you've had growth, which suggests that the demand is out there. What, what do you think it, it was that was preventing others from solving this or solving this the right way? There are two reasons, in my opinion. Adam, on why I think this problem is, was not solved well before. One is actually how some people, I mean, there are multiple OKR tools out there. Some of them were built five years before we even got started. Right? But I think the way they looked at 
OKR solutions was very different from how we looked at it. We look at OKRs as a business performance tool and we look at it as the job of OKR solution is to reduce the friction and increase the value. And so if you look at our approach from day one, one of the things we decided was we don't want to be yet another web app or mobile app. Right? We have those two, but we decided we'd be embedded where people are already doing their work. So our mantra, one of our core value props from day one has been around be where work happens. So instead of actually asking people to context switch from where they're doing the work, just to go look at what they're supposed to be doing, what their goals and objectives are, we wanted to bring their goals and objectives to where they were already doing their work. So right from day one, we actually had a world-class Slack integration and soon we added Microsoft Teams integration and we are adding more, essentially to bring the concept of let's be where work happens instead of asking people to context switch. The second thing we bet on was work happens already in a lot of places, right? There are already existing work patterns. If you are in development, you're gonna be using Jira, your epics, your sprints to get work done. If you are in a marketing, you might have other project management system like Asana or Monday.com or whatever. We didn't want to actually just try to dislodge those tools like some of previous versions of OKR tools have tried to do, but instead we want to embrace and integrate with those. So we decided that we'll have a world-class integration, a very simple two-click integration with pretty much all the prominent tools. So in Ally, if you have an objective, which is about, let's say, I want to ship a feature or I want to increase user engagement, you can just with two clicks connect it to the tool where work is happening, which could be your analytics tools, which could be your project management tools. And that reduces friction significantly because no one likes to do the work and then having to come to another tool and report the status of the work. And the third thing we did was actually the incredible ease of use coupled with providing amazing insights. How do we tell users something more than what they already know? Right? How do we tell them, for example, if some objective, some goal they think is on track may not really be on track? How do we give them the early warning signs? How do we give them additional insights into their work and help them to stay focused on what matters? I think those three, we took a different approach from most others in the market at that time. And we got very lucky. It turns out that's exactly those three users cared about. That's so interesting that you describe it as business performance management. And I'm curious how that's different than the conventional thinking of how managers would typically say, what is goal setting or what are OKRs? OKRs, again, these days it's a very popular acronym, right? And it gets used in all contexts. Some vendors use OKRs as an individual performance management tool. And for example, the person or the buyer for a product like that is someone in the HR of the enterprise. And their intent is to actually use this to actually help the employee's personal objectives. Our context is about how do we improve business performance, right? How do we improve the team, department, business performance? And how do we bring alignment from the company goals, department goals, team goals? and how do we create that value and transparency. We are also focused at the end of the day on what individuals do because people form teams and teams form departments and departments form companies, right? In a typical enterprise. But we are a lot more focused on the business objectives, the organization, department, team, and then the individual. 
while most of the other tools that use OKRs tend to focus more on the HR side. And other than the word OKR, pretty much every concept is different between these two scenarios. Even you think about business performance, you want your OKRs to be public, the transparency is really important. When you use OKRs in the concept of an individual's performance, typically you don't want too much transparency, right? Because it's an individual's commitment, you don't want to give feedback in a very public way if it's negative feedback and so on. So in one case, transparency is a must. In another case, transparency may not even be desired. Right? In the business performance case, the cadence is very different. Businesses set goals every quarter, track them on monthly or even weekly basis. While in the individual performance case, it's often uh, annual or a semi-annual performance review cycle that drives that process. Right? In the business performance case, OKRs use OKRs to set stretch goals. In the individual performance context, if your bonus is going to be determined based on your goals, people are going to be reluctant to set stretch goals. So besides these, this acronym, OKR, everything we think is different about how it's used in these two domains. And we are focused on how do we help the business owner or the department leader to improve the business performance while also giving empowerment and focus to the individuals on the team. It's interesting hearing you talk about this. I think I was just totally getting it wrong when I've implemented OKRs in the past. But that's such a powerful distinction of thinking about the whole versus just the parts, right? And how the whole how the whole business really operates and performs. When you say it, it sounds simple, but I can also understand how software vendors could have just been thinking about the parts and each individual and how to, you know, sort of serve their productivity. And also it's a pull, right? It, depending on your early adopters, you get pulled into a certain direction. And there's huge value in using OKRs for individuals too. But I think there's even bigger value in aligning people towards the team, department, company objectives, which empowers them, allows them to see how they're building a cathedral, right? And brings that productivity and focus and helps accelerate growth. We think there's even bigger value in using this concept in the business performance arena rather than individual performance. I should have asked you this up front, but can you give your simple definition of OKRs? OKRs, as you know, stand for objective and key results, right? It's a methodology that Google and others have used for a long time, right? And these days we see companies in pretty much every industry using this methodology. And the idea starts with writing your goals in a much clearer way. It's not like SMART. SMART is one of the other methodologies or MBOs. But this one, I think, is much more simpler and a lot more focused on outcomes. So an an objective, an OKR, typically starts with an aspirational, uh, very inspiring objective. And what you typically do is start from, let's say that your objective is like, let's double the revenue this quarter or this year. And typically, you want to actually have clear metrics that measure the outcome. These are not just to measure and say whether we hit the objective or not, but they actually clarify more clearly what this objective is. Because you're writing this objective in a very inspiring way, clearly saying here are the constraints or here are the other metrics that we care about, brings a lot of clarity to the objective. So in the case of this example we're talking about, say you want to double your revenue in the next year, the metrics may be 
what is revenue mean, right? Annual recurring revenue should double from A to B, right? Or A to 2A. Another one might be the deal size should increase. Maybe you do not want to have a lot of deals. You want to actually have fewer larger deals. So it clarifies what this inspiring objective really is. And then the third part of an OKR is what are you going to do, right? It's great that, that your objective says what you're going after. The metrics clarify what success looks like. Then the third part should be around who's going to do what about it. Maybe there is a child objective or aligned objective assigned to marketing around demand generation. There could be another one around customer success to actually increase net revenue retention. If those are parts of your strategy to double revenue that year. And the, what the great thing about OKRs is after that, essentially those aligned objectives become what those teams actually go try to achieve. Marketing team now has an objective to say double the net new leads. Right? Customer success may be around reducing churn as well as finding expansion opportunities for sales. Those automatically align to the top priority of the company, which is where the magic of OKRs are. And then as you cascade further and further down all the way to individual, everyone knows why what they are doing makes a difference, what the impact of their work is. And that alignment and data-driven execution but it's focused on outcomes, works like magic. It's so interesting how you talk about it as a way to create clarity of focus and constraints rather than just a way to force accountability down, which I love. I've also heard you talk a little bit about how it helps create purpose. How do you see that unfolding with your customers or with your own work in using OKRs or being intelligent about how you set goals? How does it help drive purpose? The impact of bringing purpose is more acute, much higher as you go further down in the organization because it is people who are further down in the organization who often are lost, right? They don't know why they are doing what they are doing. They are just working on their tasks and projects because their manager had asked them to do that. In most organizations, by the time you get to the second or third level of management, people don't understand what are the top level objectives of the enterprise are. So they cannot see how their work has meaning. It is just something they are doing because they've been asked to do so. And the way we bring purpose to work is by connecting their work to the higher level objectives of the enterprise. When you are doing something, you know, and when you know how it is aligned to what your team is trying to accomplish and how that aligns to what your company is trying to accomplish, it's hugely empowering for people. It's no longer busy work. It's no longer something they come day in and day out and do. It is that whole idea of, am I laying bricks or am I building a cathedral? People can now see that they're building the cathedral and that actually brings high level of engagement. The second thing that happens is you no longer have to manage people closely. Micromanagement is not needed because they have the context. In fact, people are now empowered to figure out how to go achieve that objective. You don't have to tell them. And that is very empowering for most people. People crave autonomy and organizations succeed by empowering people. Those are the two things that come together in a very powerful way. And you still keep the team very focused because everyone knows in a very clear way what are the outcomes the organization or team is striving for. So it's all still aligned towards doing the right thing, but you are empowering your people to actually go figure out how to get there. I could listen to you talk about goal setting all day. It's something I haven't been good at in the past, and I'd love to keep learning on this. Let's let's wrap this up with the supersonic six. Hmm. 
Number one, who's one Seattle business leader that you're following or learning from? I'm a huge fan of what Eugenio Pace has been doing at Odd Zero. I've had some opportunities to work with some of his team there. It's uh, everything about how the company is run and the people there. It's awesome. Number two, what's one Seattle company you're following or learning from right now? I am learning a lot from Smartsheet. How they have helped to bring productivity and how their go-to-market motion has enabled them to build this highly valuable enterprise. It's just simply incredible. And I do see a lot of parallels between what we are doing and what they have done. Number three, what's the one thing that Seattle needs to do as a, as a startup hub? The biggest thing I think we can do to build a vibrant startup economy here is the availability of early stage funding. There are some amazing organizations like the one I'm very fortunate to partner with, Founder Squad, right? uh, Chris DeVore, Avial. I'm so glad I found them, but I wish there were hundred of them. Number four, what's one piece of advice you'd give your 20 year old self? Focus on the long term. Anything worthwhile takes a long time to build and looking for early results, early and quick outcomes, does not produce greatness. Focus on the long term. Very early on in my career, I was just focused on the next promotion or the next thing, next project. Looking back, I don't think that moved the needle as much as focusing on the long term as done. Yeah, well, all your stories are, they have a 20 year uh, life to kind of come to, to fruition. So <laughs> that makes sense with you. Number five, what surprised you about building your business? I mean, the power of having an uncommon insight. When we entered this business, or when I even looked at entering this business, there were really well-funded companies already that were in the quote-unquote OKR space. I do think they were looking at OKRs differently than how we are looking at it, but they were already providing OKR solutions. I did a lot of customer interviews and I went to some of the user conferences and others. And I really think that helped us, not because I came up with these great ideas, but listening to those customers closely gave us some really, really great insights, which has turned into a significant competitive advantage for us. So the power of those uncommon user insights surprised me even more than I thought it would. Number six. What can this community do to help you? Do you have a job that you're, that's a big focus for you to fill or an event that's coming up or anything you want people to put their attention on? I can use a lot of help. We are uh, growing fast and I could uh, use a lot of help in actually finding people to come and help us build this business engine, build this machine. In terms of actually, there are lots of openings we have right now on our website. Top of my mind, actually, I don't want to go for top of my mind. There are lots of openings on our website. We need help and we can use help across the board, whether it is product, engineering, marketing, sales, HR. We would love to find people who are passionate about this problem and people who actually want to experience a high growth environment and have fun building something amazing. Awesome. 
thank you, Vetri, so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much, Adam. It was fun. Is it on? I think it's on. Hey, it's Adam again. Quick note before you go. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I am enjoying making it. If you do like it, please leave a rating or a review. That would help other people find it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have any feedback, send me an email, adamseattlepodcast at gmail.com. No underscores, no periods, just adamseattlepodcast at gmail.com. 